here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. All right, folks, happy Sunday evening and welcome to the Drop Zone. Dylan DeChair here chiming in from Seattle. And I've got a special guest co-host on the line this week, Luke Curtinine, the pride of Connecticut, chiming in. Luke, thanks for being here. Dylan, it's always an honor to serve. Thank you for having me. Luke, it's been a whirlwind of a golf week. You, of course, are our head of instruction content. So I want to talk to you a little bit about you know, some things that might help the listeners out. I want to talk about your new podcast, but mostly I just want to talk to you about all things golf from uh, from another wild news-filled week. So, I mean, there's a lot to untangle here. There's the U.S. Amateur. There's uh, the BMW Championship. There's Tiger Woods, the potential shadow commissioner of the PGA Tour. I don't even know where to begin, but I just want to ask you like, what your general sense is of the state of golf right now. I know. I mean, it's definitely been an exciting weekend, right? We have the Super Bowl of golf just kind of ongoing. We have a, <laughs> we, we have a major championship in the U.S. Amateur, and we have uh, the, we'll get to that. And Jesus, we have the empire. Is... We have the empire rising again in the PGA Tour striking back. So yeah, I think it's quite a delicious week in golf. Um, let's start with Tiger, and there's all this PGA Tour stuff. That sounds that sounds exciting. All right, we should start there, but let's start let's start a slightly smaller picture with just. Uh, handing out some kudos to uh to our winners from the week um what do you make of patrick cantlay bmw championship defending his title in delaware yeah i mean i'm a huge patrick cantlay fan i was i was realizing this watching golf that i just really genuinely like watching patrick cantlay play golf and i was thinking this because i thought you know if i was to sit down every single pga tour player and make them take some kind of play smart endorsed golf iq test Mm. i think patrick cantlay would come out number one i just think his golf iq is through the roof he's the kind of guy who it's quite rare for a guy with an elite level of skill but i feel like he gets more out of his game than anybody else on tour oh interesting um and i think his stats sort of prove it like i pulled a couple of them because i come prepared to these things dylan excellent Um, so he's first in par five scoring average right He's first in approach putt performance, which is basically just lag putting. Uh, He's second in birdie conversion, third in putting inside 10 feet, and 25th in bogey avoidance. I mean, these are just the kind of unforced errors that he's really good at avoiding. Like the guy who takes all your money at your local club is really good at all the things that Patrick Cantlay is good on the PGA Tour with. He's not making dumb mistakes. He's not really blowing his first putt by. When he is has a tricky eight-footer, he's making that putt. He's hitting a lot of drivers. He doesn't have this tremendous amount of speed, but he's keeping it in the ballpark, and he's taking advantage of his par fives. And I just think it's it, there's something so wonderfully fundamental about that kind of golf that mm. I just truly enjoy watching it, and I feel like I always learn a lot from Patrick Cantlay playing it. Yeah, I mean, you could probably tell me more about his his spin rates and stuff, but there was something interesting about watching these guys play on a pretty firm course this week. And Cantley played with Xander every day, which is interesting because those guys are, you know, I don't know if they're best friends in actual life, but certainly on the PGA Tour, they are each other's closest friend. They play together every Tuesday. This week, they were paired together Thursday, Friday. 
were close enough on the leaderboard that then they were paired together Saturday and then again Sunday. And they, you know, they're they're different in body types. Their swings are different, but they both hit a pretty pretty penetrating golf ball, Luke. And so mm-hmm. when they hit the fairway, which was pretty key this week in Wilmington, they were getting some serious run out. So, I mean, I know Cantley was in the top 10 in driving distance for the week. And yeah, his speed maybe isn't that crazy, but it's it's pretty effective, which and that that word effective definitely comes to mind with uh, your description of Cantley. Yeah, Zander's definitely got that flat ball flight too. You know, like doesn't put yeah. a bunch of spin on it. I mean, remember at Carnoustie, he hit one just north of 400 yards on the 17th <laughs> hole. Yeah. So it kind of trundled it down there. Yeah, I think he got, I forget which hole it was, but he got more than 70 yards of roll on one hole today during the mm, final yep. round. Um, it's a product of the way he swings a golf club, not putting a lot of spin on the ball. And also in the case of Cantlay, for instance, it's because he keeps his ball in the fairway itself. It's it's obviously dumb to say, but you're not going to get roll if you're not keeping your ball in the fairway. So the kind of bomb and gouge model becomes really difficult around a course like what we saw at the BMW Championship. But Patrick Cantlay, again, really fundamentally good golfer, really good at just keeping his ball where he needs to and, and allowing it to release down there. Yeah, pretty impressive stuff down the stretch. You got a combo of uh, good fortune and then just, you know, ridiculous game ability. Uh, 17, his tee shot looked destined for a fairway bunker. Instead, took a ridiculous hop, uh, dodged the bunker, instead kicked forward. All of a sudden he had, I mean, you know, essentially just a, a pitch shot left. He he had 66 yards left on a 420-yard hole, um, hit it up there to five feet, made birdie. That was the difference thanks to a pretty impressive bunker shot from a fairway bunker shot on 18 that it looked like he had to cut it into the middle of the green and then just had a two-putt left for the win. So I feel like you're not doing that second shot justice. That was just an yeah. awesome golf shot. It was sort of on this like uphill side hill lie, obviously in a bunker. I know he's only hitting a wedge, but you got the pressure on. And I just thought this is the kind of shot an amateur golfer <laughs> just screws up horribly yeah. 9.8 times out of 10. And Patrick Cantlay didn't get overly aggressive, but he did need to hit a cut off an awkward lie and hit a cut sort of into the middle of the green and almost made his next putt. It was just really, really good shot. Yeah, no, that's a good point because it's this sort of thing that, you know, we were we were thinking, okay, playoff, like definitely playoff potential if Cantlay can't get up and down. And then all of a sudden you got up there and didn't realize he was going to be able to take aim at part of the green, um, at least flighting it the way he did. Edging out Scott Stallings, Luke, who has been, I mean, really under the radar having a tremendous golf season. Um, he's been playing the best golf i mean what maybe of his life at least since several years back what do you know about scott stallings i know you've written a little bit about him in the past because he turned into uh, such a fitness guru yeah it's kind of funny if you go back and look at scott i mean this was brought up on the broadcast so sorry to all those who have heard this before but if you go back and look at old highlights of scott stallings he kind of came on tour as a pretty thick guy you know had had a bit of of fat under that muscle and didn't have as much mobility mobility excuse me or flexibility as he would have liked he would have certainly been somewhere on your beefy boy index right Uh, absolutely he's definitely changed the profile of his beefy boy index because now he's just very lean and strong um cut a 
bunch of fat, something like 40 pounds, started doing CrossFit and really just turned into a workout junkie. Got more flexible along the way. He's gained speed. And now when you look at him, he kind of looks like one of the most athletic. I mean, he looks like an elite level athlete, not just an elite level golfer athlete, just a true, you know, he look, could be a baseball player the way he's built now. And I think it's quite indicative of the way he's been playing well late this season. I mean, he's mm. just racked up three, I'm just looking at it now, three of his last five starts coming into the BMW Championship were top tens. Yeah. And, that's the, and he obviously plays a lot of events. He's played 29 events coming into the BMW Championship too. So that's the kind of stamina that you will see players fall off uh, as the season goes on, they get tired, they're doing all this traveling, they're obviously hitting a lot of golf balls along the way, they just can't sustain a good level of play. And he is just kind of actually rounding into form right now. And it's just those marginal gains you get from being able to take a little bit better part of your body uh, off the golf course that allows you to sort of do well on the golf course. Yeah, at the risk of running down the leaderboard here, Luke, well, I feel like one, Scotty Scheffler or Xander Shoffley, one of them has to change their last name they can't both be in contention with that sch on the leaderboard gets very confusing uh is there anyone else that stood out to you from from the contenders this week well as you're uh, since you're the president of the zander shoffle fan club i mean what i kind of was expecting him to do a bit more than what he did today curious mm. what your what your take is on that what the official statement is there from a zander yeah yeah i i actually i've got to check the the options listings but i think i may be a, actually a majority owner in uh in the <laughs> <laughs> in Shoffley stock. I am coming up on 51% of total. Uh, so yeah, I mean, total, I thought he was going to win. I always think he's going to win. I know. I mean, the <laughs> way he plays golf, it's pretty well suited. This, this course had a, uh, it smelled a little bit like East Lake, at least on television. I actually randomly played one round at Wilmington country club back in the 18 in America days. Played, oh, that's fun. But that was now, you know, a little while ago. So I don't, I don't remember it hole by hole that well, but the way the pros were playing it, it definitely seemed to, it seemed like a, a hybrid between East Lake, which doesn't necessarily reward uh, distance as much as a lot of courses and a U.S. Open course, which has, especially in recent years, really rewarded distance. So this was some sort of hybrid where you really get rewarded if you find the fairways. If you hit it long and straight, you're going to be in the mix. Um, Xander just always seems to play well at those sorts of tests. He always plays well at a U.S. Open type setup. I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint. There were just a couple things that were slightly off and he just could keep touch with the leaders, but couldn't quite get it done. He putted okay. Uh, his short game was not great. I think that if there's that's what I've always been obsessed with with Xander's game is there's really no weakness. But if mm. there has been one, it's his short game in long rough it's very specific but pretty relevant this week because the rough was significant uh he lost strokes three out of the four days around the greens so that's probably what cost him the tournament yeah i don't think he played poorly he just wasn't really making anything it was just one of these it's honestly probably the look of a man who was playing well enough to get into contention but not yeah. quite well enough to win i mean that's just what it yeah. looked like he was playing today there was one hole that kind of summed it all up, and that was uh, 14 on Sunday, where Cantlay was going to have to lay up. It was this par five. Xander hit hit the sh out of his tee shot that just ran down. Uh, I think this was the one that maybe ran 70 yards when it landed. 
Xander had, I think he had like 218 left, just carried it directly over the pin, hit it a little bit too pure, rolled to the back of the green, and then, you know, hit a pretty poor chip. Didn't get up and down, made par. That was that. Yeah, just quite uninspiring. I do want to give a special yeah. shout out to the Adam Scott, Sahith Tagala stuff. I thought that was quite an, in- I, I, I don't usually get drawn into the playoff, the playoff run stuff. But it yeah. was fun seeing Adam Scott both sort of in contention and also trying to get to a tour championship next week. I, I genuinely enjoyed that. Sort of had an F1 style, uh, best yes. of the rest feeling, which we'll probably get onto. But definitely is something that I wish golf would figure out a way to get more of. It really was. It, it felt like there was a lot more juice around the uh, that 30th place bubble number for the tour championship this year i mean i i I know that there's always some intrigue around it and there's always some moving pieces but this year felt more in flux i don't know if you know that's just a a function of my memory or what but wait so who ended up in the 30th spot adam scott he got up and down from a bunker on 18 oh yeah yeah yeah. so he got yeah i think aaron wise technically maybe ended up in the 30 spot but scott needed to get up and down hit a wonderful bunker shot yeah, really good. And kind of, I think he threw a sneaky fist pump. I mean, the crowd knew the situation too and sort of roared as he hit this shot. Sneaky fist pump from Adam Scott onto the Tour Championship. And I just thought this was a really fun little wrinkle. Even though the tournament itself was quite good, being able to sort of track that eventuality was a fun thing too. Yeah, unfortunate for uh, the 31-man really feels like he belongs at the Tour Championship. And that's Shane Lowry, who is by all accounts, one of the best golfers in the world to see his name. I mean, look, Trey Mullinax is 32. JJ Spawn is 33. Not a shocker to me that those guys are not going to be at Eastlake, but to not have Shane Lowry there seems uh, weird. I know. It's the, but it's the Super Bowl of golf, Dylan. You can't. It's the Super Bowl of golf. Yeah. Let's get, should we get to the real stuff, Luke? You ready for it? Let's get into it. All right. So there are reports this week. Well, I mean, there's reports, there's what we know, there's sort of what the the general golf world is is hearing. There are all kinds of rumors, but the most significant happening of the week came in the middle of the week when Tiger Woods took his plane in. He and Ricky Fowler got into a rental car, a Nissan rental car, uh, and drove over to have a players only meeting at which a whole number of things were discussed, Luke. How would you summarize what you think we learned about this meeting? So I think it was, directionally speaking, what we need to see on the PJ mm-hmm. Tour. It's, yeah. a, it's a, I think it, I'm not, I think I echo any avid golf fan in saying that it's a little frustrating that it's taken what it's taken uh, to get to this point where the PGA yeah. Tour takes a good solid look at its model and says, how can we improve it? How can we innovate it? It, it really, if these, if they were a tiny bit proactive about, yeah. about this stuff, they wouldn't have had to deal with this existential threat that they now have. But whatever the case, that's, that's the landscape as we currently have it. We've got this competitive tour and now the PGA Tour is needing to look inward and figure out how to improve its business model. And I think, I mean, we'll probably run through some of these suggestions that seem yeah. to crop up in the meetings, but it seems like they're discussing the things that I know I would like to see more of on the PGA Yeah, definitely. And I think the, you know, the gist of it, Alan Shipnick wrote, uh, had a nice write-up on the fire pit about uh, the proposed changes and one version of 
of these proposed changes is having 18 uh, $20 million limited field events over the course of the year. I would say that that number is certainly in flux. Um, I mean, if you add 18 to four majors to, you know, various other tournaments guys will play, that's, that seems like that's getting towards the upper end of what it would be. Um, but look, we've been banging the drum here on the drop zone since before the live stuff for the PGA tour to do something like this, that the biggest issue with the PGA tour in my mind has been that you don't know which weeks are important. No sports league can possibly sustain interest for 47 weeks out of the year. Um, especially when, when it's four days out of the week. I mean, when it's every tournament is a marathon and the season never ends, that's just, that's not a feasible thing. So we've always needed to consolidate the best players a little bit more, uh, the schedule a little bit more. Obviously now live fans are saying, well, the PGA tour is just doing this in response to live to which I would say, yeah, I guess so. Um, but I, I don't think that I, I just don't think that that makes it wrong, but I am, I do think it, it immediately pokes some holes in a couple of the arguments that some people were floating around. I think that's been one of the interesting things about this whole process is that People who are not fans of live, I, I truly believe that they are not fans of live. I think a lot of people are, but people have been struggling to figure out why they are not fans of live. And I think that there's like a, there's a sort of ambiguous sense of like, I don't really like this. Maybe it's the no cut thing. Maybe it's the shotgun start thing. Maybe it's like the limited field thing. Now that the PGA tour has potentially a bunch of 60 or 70 player field um, events with no cuts on the horizon. Now I think people are like, well, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't the thing that bothered me. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, how do you untangle some of this? Yeah, I mean, the way I untangle it is I'm like, yeah, there are things that the Live Tour is doing well, for sure. Yes, you know, correct. and they're innovating and that should be applauded. The problem isn't that in my mind at least. The problem is the macro stuff of where it all comes from, which is a conversation mm -hmm. for another day. But to your point yeah. about the PGA Tour doing this because the Live Tour, yeah, and also who cares, you know? Like Instagram right. rolls out new features based on what TikTok is doing because people like it and that's what the competitive environment looks like, right? Yeah. I think what they're getting at is, is the right thing. I mean, I think ultimately what we see in golf is that it's just for the median sports fan, it's really messy and really confusing. You have a tournament yeah. every week spaced out over four days, often at like 10 a.m. in the morning is when the first slate of tee times, and then there's a cut, and then there's all these players, there's 150 something players, and oh, they're shooting all these scores, and oh wait, but there's a cut after two <laughs> yeah. days, and it's really, there's no organizing mechanism like a team. There's way too many people just kind of floating around, and the end result of that is because it's just this pure, wild west chaos every single week of the event you, sometimes you have your best players showing up and then the other half of the best group of players aren't are sitting at home that week because they want the week off so you're yep. not even getting your best guns playing against each other a lot of the time and when you do sometimes Rory Mackerel just doesn't play well that week and he's T17 and you've got a bunch of players between him and, and the lead 
that's six shots you know six shots better than the way he's coasting and i think in a nutshell what golf is really bad at and needs to figure out is how to embrace more of these forced matchups you know we Mm -hmm. want to see justin thomas versus rory McIlroy, but like we saw at the canadian open for instance except we can't always leave that to chance we can't just say hey you know the cream will rise to the crop which sometimes sometimes it does right but not (laughs) but not all the time what we need is we need to say hey these are the best 20 players in golf and we're going to force them in a kind of closed shop system sometimes to play against each other so then we can see that like phil in his peak versus tiger in his peak versus ernie Mm. in his peak playing against each other because that's how you get people to pick a team of like oh i like this guy and or, or I, i'm rooting i'm more of a tiger guy and i want to see yeah. them uh, maybe phil will get one over on him because tiger beat him last time and really if you actually think about continuing on this tiger and phil uh, analogy really there's not all that many times where we actually saw tiger right. and phil go toe to toe in match play style format and that's a real problem and a, and something that's really been under optimized in the world of professional golf right the fact that over the course of more than 20 years you maybe saw two of the best players of all time kind of go toe-to-toe two a handful times. of times yeah that is yeah. just a waste i mean imagine if the yankees and the red sox played each other once ever you know <laughs> that's just, it's ridiculous but that's just yeah the once a decade but a high and hyped up match though luke <laughs> and that's i think ultimately the problem and i think the solution is a champions league style um as champions league style rhythm within the confines of professional golf where you have the week in week out product which is that sort of chaos reign system but then you have a small closed shop of 20 players playing 10 times a year and there is yeah. no cut and these and these purses are huge and it becomes a really big deal trying to get into these events and mm-hmm. you, and it becomes a really big deal beating the elite of the elite in order to win these things um that to me is what the that that's the solution that the pga tour needs that it's going to plant their flag on some of these on some of these key events and say this is what you should pay attention to this yeah. is what's important I think the the key for the PGA Tour to to win this battle is to sort of reach something of a stalemate on some of the issues like, you know, money and purses and that sort of thing, which is I mean, no small task. I mean, that's that's maybe impossible, but if if under this plan they can increase the uh dollar values associated with some of these tournaments, and sort of say, look, we can do some comparable stuff to what Liv is offering you. We can offer you a slightly condensed schedule. You're going to know when you're playing. Uh, you're going to be making money. You're going to be, you know, not missing any cuts because there won't be any. Then you have a real advantage because now you are saying, okay, we have that. Plus, we also have the true strength of the PGA Tour, which is the infrastructure of it all. The fact that Scotty Scheffler is still on the PGA tour or the fact that Will Zalatoris is going to stay on the PGA tour. Those individuals don't necessarily represent like an individual draw, but I think the fact that 
the guys are going back to the memorial every year and it's the rhythm of this schedule that has changed but existed for decades and decades and is on CBS and NBC every week. Like that rhythm is probably underestimated and the individual players are probably overestimated. So if you can say, yeah, look, these leagues are are mostly similar. They're mostly equivalent. Live as a little bit more money. Where it comes from is is pretty stinky. Um, but now you're saying, well, we've got Greg Norman or we've got Tiger Woods. They've got Greg Norman. Uh, we've got TV deals. They've got streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you can make some of the dollars and cents and the format relatively equivalent, then the PGA Tour is going to like the advantage it has in some of those tangibles. Yeah. And I think to your point, what Liv has going for it in terms of structure or format rather is that they say, hey, these are our guys who and this is when you are going to see them next. And then they can go about building up the building up fan bases effectively around mm-hmm. either the teams yeah. themselves or the players. Um I think the PJ Tour already has that general structure in terms of hey everyone's going to show up to the memorial most people are going to show up to the fedex cup events or or whatever these yeah these flagship tour events are but they just need to lean into that you know they need to stop watering down this wine they need to say hey Mm. we need like scotty scheffler to have a bit of a fan base and for people to know oh in three weeks scotty scheffler is going to tear up against the 15 other best guys on tour and yeah. now he's warming up and let's get a scouting report on him and see how it's going. And I think that that's really what it needs. It, it, they need to create this organizing mechanism that exists in other sports because people are just members of teams and you can follow one of the, you know, one of the 20 teams and, and it starts making sense. But we need to in golf be especially attuned to uh, making sure that we communicate to the rest of sports. Hey, mm. this, this is a big deal. Hey, all our best guys yeah. are playing. This week, watch. Because, yeah. yeah. And what I would hope, I guess, with these events is that they they incorporate some existing big-time events. And they, look, they've already done this. They've already announced for next year the purses are going to be jacked up for the Invitationals, for Tiger's event, for Arnie's event, for Jack's event. Uh, I would love them to also expand to some untapped markets. I mean, we've seen... The response that Liv has gotten by going to, well, they haven't even announced it, but the fact that they'll end up in Australia next year, that has been a missed opportunity for the PGA Tour. So if the tour can do a handful, can hit a handful of logical uh, cities around the world as part of these events and make them feel like a big deal the way F1 does, the sport that we constantly refer back to, um, that would be well worth it. But all right, I want you to put on your Liv hat for a second, though, and say, yeah, what's what's the positive takeaway from Liv looking at all of this? So wait, if I'm speaking from a now you're Liv, you're view, and you're saying yeah, you're you're speaking from a Liv point of view. Is there a is there anything about this that you're just like, huh, whatever? If I'm a pro Liv guy, I would say, look, this whole year has been a proof of concept, and it's been so successful that now the establishment is starting to take notes from us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I think, a, a fact of what uh, Liv would be saying about what they're yeah. seeing, the PJ Tour draft, that we've scared them into needing to adapt. 
some pro live tall people would say this is also a sign that there's going to be some compromised hatched because clearly mm. we're scaring them to the point and poaching their players at the same time where they need to find some kind of bargain in which these two tours can coexist. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily think that won't happen, but I think that's a true last resort for the PGA Tour and one they shouldn't even really contemplate. I don't think there's a soon. compromise coming. I, yeah, I, I really feel that. But if I'm live here, I'll, I'll, I'll start us off here with, I think I'm saying, A, these guys are now playing catch-up. They are they are coming after our 2022 model in 2023. Meanwhile, we're going to keep shifting. We have more money than they do. We're going to keep doubling up purses. And now that the PGA Tour is effectively cementing the idea that it's only going to be essentially like a 70 or 75 player tour, maybe it's easier for Liv to go after that second tier and to beef up its international series events and make that a feeder tour for Liv and really get some division going that's not just like 48 players deep, but is like 100 players deep. Well, I think Liv is playing a... It's quite funny because golf's never had to deal with the idea of going out and signing players before. Mm, but everything yeah. we know about other sports is that sports teams, they sign bad contracts with players who aren't worth it all the time. And that just yeah. creates a whole set of issues um, down the road that they have to deal with. I think in some ways, that's what the PGA Tour has going for it. They can spin up a kind of champions league style model where you have your week in week out product you have your elite of the elite and you're like yeah earn your way into this and then you'll get these big prize money you, you'll have these huge paydays because those don't have a cut and everything what live is doing isn't quite doing that yeah they're trying to set up a bit of a feeder system but they don't have that yet you know the conveyor belt of new players is on the pga tour you know we didn't know who scotty scheffler was four years ago or morikawa or zalatoris and you know it's always cameron young they're always the next guy up coming on the pga tour and if they can funnel them up into this elite of the elite that's great for the pga tour and it's not really any guaranteed money off their backs whereas if Liv is going out and paying a guy like graham mcdowell to just bring some level of name recognition to yeah. his to, to their tour um, that's obviously great for Graham McDowell, but if, then, but if they then create a system in which they're having to funnel some of these guys on guaranteed money into effectively like the Asian tour, off the live tour, because they only have a finite number of spots and they're signing new players onto it, it can just start looking less appealing to those middle of the wrong guys where it's like, wait, so I have to effectively get banned from mainstream professional golf in order to sign a contract with live and then maybe get relegated off the tour and just be in, in the wilderness yeah. a little bit or, you know, and then live may start looking at that and saying, well, you know, do we really want to spend money signing up this player? It's just, it starts getting a little messy. I think it does. And I think, I think people are still stuck in the phase of these early mega contracts. I don't think I talked to a little bit about this last podcast, I guess, but I, I don't think, those exist. I don't think that there is $120 million waiting for most players at this point. There's a few guys, obviously, that would tip the scales. Liv has has absolutely had more success than I expected getting players to come over. I, I don't want to downplay that at all. Um, but I think for your average A-list PGA Tour player, that risk bonus 
of of what they would have gotten if they'd been an early adopter that's not that dollar value is not the same that is that has gone down dramatically i would say and the costs outside like the non-monetary costs actually kind of going up for these players at the same time Mm. too they're effectively getting blackballed off the pga tour which not only that has there is some uh career security there too knowing that i'll always have some status on the pga tour that i'll be able to go and play or the corn ferry tour whatever but if you're banned from all that and the reward is well here's 20 million dollars Right. There's a real opportunity cost thing going on. It's been a while since I took economics, but um, certainly if you are now going to make more money on the PGA Tour than you were going to initially, and now you know for sure you're not going to be able to play on the PGA Tour until at least 2024 when this next step of this court battle happens. I mean, yeah, that opportunity cost is sort of soaring to actively leave the PGA Tour. and It'll be interesting to see what happens to the guys that have already signed on with live i think a few guys have gotten cold feet we've seen i mean the cameron young reporting was really interesting that happened over the last couple weeks where there were some reports that he was going to live that were walked back in a very interesting way he ended up being at the players meeting this week and he seems somehow has not really been asked about this on the record but he seems like he is going to be in the pga tour camp going forward ricky fowler Shout out to Ricky for scoring an invite to this important players meeting um, because, you know, he has not been playing like a top 20 PGA Tour player, but he was there with Tiger. He's been wavering, you know, in the press publicly all summer long. He now seems to be on the side of the PGA Tour. So, God, it's it's interesting times, Luke. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, to be fair to Ricky Fowler, he's had a truly awesome career. But um, I would say, <laughs> too, that when you're asking PGA Tour players to, like, renounce their membership in some ways to get this live money, and like I was saying, and if live is in exchange, if what they're offering you is guaranteed money, but what you have to give up is potentially getting relegated off the live tour because they're just going to keep signing new players whenever they can get them sort of thing, and you're going to get blackboard, and you're not sure how the court thing is going to start resolving itself suddenly the pj tour through not really doing a whole lot for that type of middle rung player starts looking a whole lot more secure than Mm. um than what the live alternative is offering when you don't have these ridiculous sums of money i guess it and it really just changes changes your identity a little bit it would have to change your self-identity i mean all right, to think to think about it in an extreme example. The I just think these guys identify themselves as PGA Tour players. They identify themselves as traditional professional golfers and if if they were suddenly like, "Hey, here's 1.5x, here's 3x your salary. You are now a professional cricketer." These guys would probably be like, "Well, that's kind of weird. That's not really what I <laughs> That's not really what I envisioned. This is obviously not that. It's still professional golf. These guys have played on different tours to some to varying degrees for their entire careers. But um, it just comes with a shift in how you would view yourself. Um, just the way you, Luke Curdenine, would have to, if if a football website or an NBA website, which I know you're now an aficionado in, in uh, pro basketball, came along and were like, yeah, here you go, Luke. Here's your new gig. You get paid double, uh, but you kind of have to 
kind of have to think about who you are in a different way. I think that there's a little bit of a, a price to that. Too. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny because obviously Charles Howell jumping to live to get a, a final PJ after being such a PJ tour sort of journeyman stalwart whatever for so long was interesting but you almost it's almost interesting to think about it in reverse where you think about the guy who could become the next charles howe style you know the 23 year old Mm. who could become the next charles howe the guy who just puts together a really long lucrative pj tour career because he's putting in the starts week after week he's putting he's he's throwing in good showings and the odd win along the way um it's if that 23-year-old is being tempted by Liv and that career path potentially evaporates, right? Because who knows what his journey in Liv could be. Um, he yeah. could he could get three good years of some guaranteed money and if the, court, the tour could stick around, but he may not be sort of re-signed back onto it because it's yeah. just a contract. He may be cut. And just like a, on a like a sports team would cut a bad contract, and he's now stuck in this really weird situation where what he could have done effectively is put together a really nice PGA Tour career where he's making a ton of cuts and making a ton of money because of it over a long period of time, and had the security of being I'm a PGA Tour, I'm a professional golfer, I know what I need to do in order to make more money or less money or whatever um when it's when when you're throwing your lot in with one specific thing and that thing being live it just sometimes the opportunities can actually fall by the wayside luke i want to take a very quick break to tell you and the rest of our friends about radmore golf it's very simply the best apparel brand in all of golf luke you yourself are an owner of some Radmore gear. Do you have anything you'd like to say about it? I must say, I'm quite particular when it comes to my sweatshirts, and I truly love Radmore. And I'm not just saying this because it's an ad read. I just I think they fit great. I think they look great. I get complimented all the time on them, and I'm a big sweatshirt wearer, especially on the golf course. Um, mm. And I'm about to be busting back out because because of fall golf coming up here in the Northeast, and I just love those Radmore sweatshirts. Truly, does well from Seattle all the way to the United Kingdom, Luke. Um, so check out radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com and use code DROPZONE at checkout for 25% off. It's a deal you can't beat. Check out radmoregolf.com. Luke, what do you make of the idea of Tiger Woods being this pseudo, I don't know about the word commissioner, but stepping in to fill the void of leadership that seems to exist on the player front? Because look, this is golf. These these guys are not on teams. They're not part of organizations other than the PGA Tour itself. They n- seem to need a unifying figure. And the fact that Tiger is not just sitting in Florida counting his money and doing rehab, but is actually taking a stand, what does that mean? I mean, I do love seeing players morph into these stall, uh, uh, sort of gate holders of the game type yeah roles you know where he becomes uh, effectively like a moral leader of what should be done on the beach. <laughs> so i do love yeah. seeing that happen as well i think it though mainly it's a product of the the what the pga tour does at the top of its organization where they really like monahan is like a player's commissioner right mm. all the players he loves all the players all the players like him he kind of has staked his reputation on this like i put the players first no matter what and i think that what in some ways what the PG, in, in an alternate universe the PGA Tour is ruled by some 
iron-fisted commissioner who is like truly setting the agenda and is winning people over to that viewpoint. That's not what the current PJ Tour is doing, and it's not better or worse. It's just different. Um, but that's where this like elevated role for a guy like Rory or John Rahm or Tiger Woods comes from. Because when you have the PG, when you have the PJ Tour commissioners saying we are the players and the players are kings. You know, Rory McIlroy then becomes a king and Tiger Woods is like the king of kings, right? So I think that this is clearly the strategy that the PGA Tour is working. That They're saying, we are going to be collaborative with you. We are going to let the players drive this bus. We are going to make that work. And I think, honestly, in Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm and a handful of others, it's a pretty good slate of players to be throwing their, their lot in with. Initially, when this came up, it felt like maybe Tiger was going to do what he always does, which is kind of sit on the fence and see how it all plays out and not necessarily put his finger on the scale. And I think for a little while, he sort of did do that. I mean, he made it clear that he was in support of the PGA Tour. He's now gone essentially all in. And there there are a couple self-interested reasons for that. One being his legacy, right? Like the if the PGA Tour doesn't mean as much, then the fact that he is the greatest PGA Tour player of all time doesn't mean as much. So there is that. There's there's also the fact that under this new system, I mean, I, I could see him having some equity involved if the PGA Tour turns from being a nonprofit to uh, you know different status of of uh, entity. They, like there's definitely he can definitely get some skin in the game by uh, stepping forward here and he'll probably do that. Um, so there are some self-interested reasons, but I think it's huge to have him as the figurehead because to so many people, we can get too close to this sometimes, but to so many people, Tiger Woods literally is golf. Like he is the video game. He is the face of the entire sport. Like when, when, young golfers now are asked who their favorite golfer is it's still tiger woods even though he has only been an on again off again pga tour golfer for you know the last like seven or eight years so it's hard to it's hard to overstate tiger jumping into this head first yeah i don't think you can ever be like a mainstream when you're talking about tours, you can't ever be mainstream if you don't have Tiger Woods on side or at the very worst, just silent about you. Uh, mm. And that's going to be a speed bump that Liv has to deal with, right? That when you have the greatest player of all time in Tiger Woods uh, sort of publicly rooting against you and planning against you and rallying support against you, it's going to be really hard to win over the golf fans who have spent 20 plus years just adoring Tiger Woods. Um, I think, I think in some ways we should be careful not to overstate how, how, like, I, I, th I think with that, with that said, like, now that I've said, you can't overstate it. You can tell me that I've, that I'm overstating. No, it. no, I, I don't think, I think there is a limit to what Tiger Woods can do. You know, mm -hmm. I think he can do exactly that rally support publicly speak out. But um, that's not going to solve this entire problem itself. I think maybe that seems to be what the strategy was early, that oh, we can get Rory and, and John Rahm and Tiger to speak out and that will kill it. it. Clearly that hasn't worked, right? There needs to be some kind of 
strategic shift around what the PGA Tour should do with Liv. But when you have Tiger Woods in your corner being the vocal guy about it, you're really primed to succeed in in that effort, I think. In, yeah. in some ways, it's a bit like what the queen does in england in in uk politics right like this was a big thing where she stays out of it uh, at all times but then every now and again she'll release these cryptic Mm. statements about um scotland seceding from the uk and everyone sort of their ears prick up and they say oh okay read between the lines the queen doesn't like this idea maybe i shouldn't like this idea either and i think that's the kind of role that tiger woods could play it definitely does mean more because there is such a mystique to tiger and because he's you know doesn't randomly just weigh in on every issue that definitely gives his word a little bit more weight yeah and it's it's one thing being pro live for instance like somewhere some contrarian out there can be like oh i love live because i'm because i'm a contrarian but if you're if 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 being pro live means you're anti-tiger that i don't know (laughs) in some for some golf fans that really isn't necessarily something they want to identify with um so you know it's a real asset there. Last question on this topic for now, Luke, is uh, I think this was raised by, I saw Garrett Morrison talking about it on, on Twitter. And so I think it's worth asking, what's the value of a cut? And is there inherent value to golf fans? Um, I don't, I mean, the, there's inherent value to a cut when the fields are 150 something players, right? Yeah. It simply need to get players moving through the tournament. Um, to me, these are some of the things I think golf should should rethink. Uh, there's not a whole lot of value in having a guy like Rory, for instance, miss the cut or John mm-hmm. Rahm miss the cut. There's value in making sure Rory and John Rahm are in the mix. And I know that mean, that doesn't mean they're not going to play well every week, but, <laughs> but having one of your most marketable and best players play on Thursday morning in Memphis, Tennessee, and then and then thursday afternoon in memphis tennessee and then not be around saturday and sunday that's not super great just for golf as a, as a sport so yeah. i do think this is something would you a rethink of um i think like match play and stroke play there's sort of a role for everything but i think that if there was to be a champions league style slate of events i don't necessarily think a cut would um would fit halfway through that tournament but when you're talking about a more chaotic, by design, bigger event, yeah, making the cut is part of what makes a PGA Tour player grind. If the, if cuts went away altogether, I, I think I would miss them. But I don't know if that's just sort of uh, nostalgia and sentimentality. I think that there's some value in like clarifying the, the figures in a tournament and in doing some narrowing down of the field because golf tournaments are such a marathon, there's there's something to be said for like at a halfway point being like, okay, you guys qualified for the weekend, you lot clear out. And, and like you said, if there's only 60 players competing or something, then that is much less necessary. And it's probably better to have, you know, Jordan Spieth playing and, and playing early and not being in contention and fans on site still being able to see him and uh, all that stuff than if he's just flying home. But I guess you miss some part of that grind and of, well, we're not talking about the majors. Those are not going to lose their cuts. So I guess the joys of seeing like Tiger rally to make the cut uh, or the agony of Rory missing the cut at Portrush, which we were both there for a few years ago. Like those are the sorts of things that I think you would lose out on without a cut. But 
you know, in some these ways, are tough times. Something you got to lose something, I guess. I mean, in some ways, I feel like it, it, I just think golf needs to like lead into uh, slimming down fields. All, it all comes back yeah. to that with me. But um, in some ways, I feel like a cut would be cooler if it was like daily cuts. You know, mm. <laughs> if, if oh, the, you if, gotta so, survive. So in, instead of it being like no cut on one day, and then you cut fifty percent of the field after the second day, you're cutting maybe twenty five percent each day. That would be kind of cool because then you'd constantly be having like, oh, can they make the cut this day? <laughs> Conversations. It's like the the pace car is coming for you and you've got to figure out if you can stay on the track or not. Um, I guess to summarize all of this, Luke, we, well, let me try to speak for both of us and then you can clarify and, and, and correct me. I would say this feels like a positive step for the PGA Tour, the fact that they are responding. Um, we may learn more about something this week at the, P- at the Tour Championship when Jay Monahan um, addresses the media. We definitely won't learn everything. Uh, it's a good week to be the PGA Tour. It's a good stretch to be the PGA Tour because Liv is not having events right now. There will be a shift in the conversation when they come back, when they have their next event, when they sign their their next uh, seven players is the, the number flying around right now. So anyway... The PGA Tour wins this round with the court battles, etc. But I guess the jury is still out on what happens next, on whether Liv is whether Liv's grand plans are going to and its ability to to turn on a dime and shape shift and be whatever it needs to be, whether that is actually something we're still underestimating. Yeah, I mean, I just think sports fans make sense of things from the top down. They look at who is the best and then they work backwards from there. Mm. And I think when you're in golf, what that means is, well, the majors is the masters yes. and the two opens and the PGA. And so then they work backwards from that. That's not super what the PGA tour wants, right? They're, they're tour golf. So it's really hard sometimes in the PGA tour structure as it currently is to look at the very top and work your way backwards. Um, I think that's the biggest opportunity for the PGA Tour to just kill off Liv ultimately, right? Is they take a s- elite crop of the best of the best on their tour at the best courses around and they say, we're going to lean into that. We're going to make people pay attention to those events. And it doesn't mean doing away with the charm of having these massive, these these journeyman guys who are who are, popping up into contention every now and again but it does mean that there's a different experience that reflects like this is this is the thing you should pay attention to like you've been saying luke let's take a a very quick break to uh to tell you that look when you talk about custom equipment as much as fellas like you and i do you know people will ask us all right where's the best place to buy and the answer is fairwayjockey.com it's the most affordable way to build, uh, to buy custom built clubs and custom built clubs that can be a big ticket item. So getting, you know, 15% off, that's a big deal. See for yourself, build your set today at fairwayjockey.com. Luke, you have many strong takes. You also are the owner of one of the worst takes currently going in golf. And I'm wondering if you'd like to 
debut that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I alluded to it at the top of the show, but I think the U.S. amateur should be counted as a major, which means that Sam Bennett is our newest major champ in golf. So congratulations, Sam. Unlucky to Ben. It was a great match, by the way. Sam was five was five up at one point and ended up and, and miss through some combination of Ben Carr making some putts and missing some short and Sam missing some short ones took it all the way to the final hallway got it done but um but yeah you know my I guess in a nutshell Dylan that golf is a recreational game and golf in many ways is an amateur game like most 99.99% of golfers are amateurs and they play golf for, I mean, we talked about the professional golf scene this entire podcast, but the experience of the average golfer is somebody who gets out there and plays a lot and registers a score. And for me, uh, the US amateur is the pinnacle of that experience. So I think we should recognize it as such. There's a big debate when I was in college about, you know, whether certain speakers should be invited to be on campus and what well, you know when it was it would get into some dodgy stuff of like okay yeah we're all for free speech but you know this guy's he's like talked about some pretty sketchy stuff in the past <laughs> like maybe we shouldn't be giving him a platform so i feel a little bit uneasy similarly letting you uh allege that you know to win a grand slam for instance a player would have to be an amateur and that the, the USAM this take is stuck about 80 years in the past. Um, there, yeah, I, I think we should just, we should just move on, but it was a tremendous match. Shout out to Sam Bennett. Who's a heck of a quote. Who's lived a, a, a full life, even though he's still a college kid. Um, pretty good stuff in terms of the actual broadcast. I would say Luke USGA events, have gotten to this point where they feel elevated because the production value and the, I mean, just the general kind of aura around it, they seem to really nail it. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought Colt, our, you know, sub, subpar, sub host of the subpar podcast, uh, prior to golf.com. I thought he was great too. Um, it's just a fun match, you know, it fit it befitting of a major championship. I think shout out to Ben Kai, who is coached by top 100 teacher, Tony Ruggiero guy has a really really strong grip which usually means closed club face mm, but he's got yep. a lot of rotation and just absolutely cranks the golf ball i mean on his 34th hole of the day i know there's some adrenaline pumping but still you're 34 holes in under pressure he hit 185 miles per hour ball <laughs> speed down a tight fairway which was just sick so um swing hard kids swing hard good advice from luke um Kind of an interesting thing, Luke. Nellie Corda chased down her sister Jess Corda in the uh, the Aramco Series event in Spain this week, and there is there are just layers of dynamics to this one that I just want to mention. I, I don't know, we don't have time to dive into them fully, but this is the Aramco Series presented by the Public Investment Fund. This is very literally the same backing that is going into uh, Live, which has caused such consternation. And I think what we're seeing with the women's game is, well, one, I don't know what we're seeing because it's possible that there's going to be significantly more involvement um, with the LPGA going forward. Time will tell. But what they're doing here is a adopting much more of a creep model where they're staging a handful of events each year 
with significant prizes. They're getting, you know, mainstream players. The Cordas are two of the two of the faces of women's golf um, to play in their events. It sort of feels like if there were, I don't, if somehow the Saudis had started funding or sponsoring like four or five PGA Tour events or three or four PGA Tour events, if there would have been a way for that to happen, and then change would have occurred slowly instead of creating this rival league. It's it was just a little bit of a reflection of of how the men's and women's games have gone in different directions. Yeah, and I think it opens up a lane. I mean, again, it's it's the kind of thing we wish uh, golf, the golf powers that be, would have addressed. But how how many times have golf fans said, "Oh, it'd be so cool if there was some kind of mixed event"? for instance mm, oh it'd yeah. be cool if we could incorporate the best uh, female players in the game alongside the best male players in the game and it just for years just hasn't happened right and i think uh, i don't know specifics but what we've seen with this aramco team series event and what we see with like potential involvement in the future i don't think that's like been ruled out as a possibility of some kind of <laughs> collaborative thing between right. the two, right? And I think, and then you, all, yeah, yeah, and I, and it's, uh, you know, I think it would be good for golf to see that again. It just is tied up in the in the frustrating questions about where the money's coming from. Sure, and then you also have these competing questions of, look, we've been calling for for more money, for more exposure, for an elevation of the women's professional game, and now it's like, well, well, wait a minute, hang on, not not those guys though. Um, so God, I mean, there. Yeah, we could we could keep talking about this stuff. We will, but not on this podcast because Luke, I want you to give people some advice. So I was hoping you could just, uh, you could just enlighten the golfers listening to uh, us on this podcast right now because Luke is our uh, head of head of service content, head of instruction at golf.com. He is the most tapped in guy when it comes to. Uh, golf teachers around the world. He has a one zillion swing thoughts buzzing around his head. He also <laughs> has the Play Smart podcast, which has debuted to rave reviews uh, in the last couple weeks. Here, Luke, is there anything universal that you could tell the listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, one upcoming episode that we have cooking in the Play Smart podcast. Actually, actually, it's a series of episodes um, where we talk about how to gain speed. Um, you know, one, one episode in particular we talk about, well, you know, 10 yards more of speed equates to at least one stroke lower per round you play. And that's, that right? that's just, just speed. I'm not saying you need to hit it straighter, make any more putts. It's, mm. y- if you hit the ball 10 yards further in one off season, you will come back uh, so, uh, with this one stroke lower stroke average. Um, so one thing that I've been trying to do some speed training recently, just trying to up my speed. I know you have too, Dylan. Um, and I was actually going back and forth with Bryson a little bit. Um, and one tip that he had given me was that he thinks a really important key is getting the club head and your arms really far away from you on the backswing. Mm. And so they feel really wide. And then in transition, they get really narrow and really close to you. And I think that that's a pretty good swing thought that allows, you know, it's endorsed by Bryson's coach, top 100 teacher, Chris Como, but feeling really wide on the backswing. All right. So how do you feel really wide? Because I think everyone listening right now is kind of moving their arms away from their body right now, trying to envision that. So you feel really wide by keeping both, both your left and right arms straight 
basically, mm. far away from your body. Like you're reaching back behind you. And you want to feel like your left arm, your right arm, and the club is all like stretching as far away from you as possible. That means like delaying your wrist hinge on the backswing, for instance. You make it feel really wide, like you're making a huge circle. And then once you get to the top of the backswing, that's when things start getting narrow. Mm. When your arms come closer to you, when the club comes closer to you, and that wide to narrow rhythm is what helps create what we know as lag and swing speed along with it. And it's something that um, Bryson thinks and his coach, Chris Coma, thinks is really important key to power. I love that. Uh, you can find some really good insights on the Play Smart podcast. Short episodes, Luke. How short? 10 minutes, max 13 Ten minutes. minutes. 10 to 13 minutes is what I, I start getting itchy if we start getting close to the 13 minute mark. Uh, I can only imagine how itchy you are now that we're. 6x that on this podcast <laughs> uh just really a couple of final notes from me luke i think now with with things a bit clarified heading into the tour championship i think that player of the year should be relatively locked up by scotty scheffler although i guess cam smith could also in very intriguing fashion uh win the win the tour championship and in turn maybe win player of the year yeah, but uh, uh, Scotty Scheffler's got my vote, and that has nothing to do with the the livery. I just think he deserves it. You know, the guy just truly at the start, of the, the start of the, uh, in the spring rather, um, portion of the season just looked unbeatable, and has kind of clearly looked like the best player um, throughout the entirety of the season. Rookie of the year also seems mostly locked up. Uh, we do have uh, Sahith Thigala. I think he's he's maybe the only other rookie besides Cameron Young, your overwhelming favorite um, for rookie of the year to qualify for Eastlake. There were a couple other guys, Tom Kim, um, Davis Riley among them who were just on the outside looking in. And it, maybe I'm forgetting someone, but I, I think that those are the only two guys that have qualified for Eastlake. So Cameron Young, barring a Sayeth win at Eastlake, probably your rookie of the year so yeah. shout out to him also and when he wins rookie of the year he'll probably immediately be indu inducted into the uh but uh, top of the backswing pause hall of fame you know mm. he's uh, he's in there with hideki as a as a hall of famer with a, that backswing pause i thought you were going to say into the uh best player to never win on the pga tour ranking which like cameron young is is already he may be the quickest that anyone has ever worked their way onto that list of like, all right, who are the best players without a win? Because, you know, Zalatoris now has one. So uh, that's a credit to Cam Young for just how well he has played. Luke, anything else that you want people to, uh, that you want to leave people with? No, um, I think it's interesting times in golf, Dylan. And I think uh, the drop zone always does a fantastic, fantastic job breaking it all down. So thank you for having me. Well, we'll have you back on soon. Uh, I hope, people have enjoyed listening hope that you you guys can recognize that we're trying to make sense of this just as you all are uh we're interested in, in it we're invested in it of course and we'll keep talking about it but you know we'll talk about some other fun stuff too uh if you've enjoyed this chat leave a review hopefully five stars a nice rating um say thank you to luke you can find him on the play smart podcast on twitter of course on golf.com Thanks for listening. Happy Tour Championship Week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>